0: So this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about Peter, the leader. And with all of my heart, and trust me when I say this, I really want to honor uh, the flow of the Word and Holy Spirit to this community. So my prayer is God help me to do that. Um, Because I just feel so acutely aware as I stand here now that the Lord has started to speak to us, started to stir things up in us that is hugely significant. And I want to, in some small way, add to that rather than distract from it. So, Holy Spirit, He's very powerful. He can help me to do that. So, I will. I, spent, I have spent a lot of my life professionally uh, talking about leadership to leaders. And I've written quite a bit about it. And If I get another prophetic word about writing a book on leadership, um, that will be very many words indeed, Um, and I I will get round to it at some point. Um, I don't claim to be an expert. Um, I only ever speak as a fellow traveler about anything, because you never, ever stop learning, ever. But in talking about Peter the leader to you, um, and having said, I talk a lot about leadership to leaders I need to say something that makes sure that none of you feel excluded from what I'm about to say. So I'm going to do that by helping you to understand something very important, which is that every single one of you is a leader. Can I say that? I just did, to be fair. The question is, do you believe me? Because some of you are probably going, well, I'm not a leader. Leadership is best summed up as influence. And I guarantee that there is someone, somewhere, that you are influencing, even if you would not say you are a leader. And so, my thesis to you is, if you are influencing somebody, you are a leader. Which means as long as you're alive, you're a leader. Because just by existing, you create influence. So is everybody okay with being a leader? Because if you're not, everything I'm about to say now will just go, you'll get a pitchfork and you'll go, that's for somebody else. And I don't want you to do that. So I'm asking you to pull your pitchforks down. And actually say, this is for me. This is to me. You know, if, if nothing else, if it were true, and it isn't, that nobody is following you, then there is at least one person that you lead. It's called yourself. And Proverbs 16.32 says this, Better the person who can rule their own spirit than someone who can take a city You know, I hear so much about city transformation. Let's take the city. Let's take the nation. Let's take the world for Jesus. And we can't even lead ourselves. Proverbs 16.32 says, better to be able to lead yourself than to be able to take a city. As you know, my definition of maturity is always both and, okay? So, and I'm going to do this over here, over there thing. Apologies, kind of works. Over here, I'm leading myself. Over here, I'm taking anything I can get my hands on. City, nation, world, Mars. Anywhere there might be life that needs to bow the knee, assuming it's got a knee. And if it hasn't, it'll be the equivalent of... So it's both and. But if we're going to engage with our mandate to engage in the city and and we're going to follow the Great Commission to go make disciples, I can't help thinking that leadership is embedded in both of those things. So hopefully now, I have convinced you that you are all leaders. Excellent. The main difference between those who would call themselves leaders and those who wouldn't are two things. Firstly, awareness, and the second thing, intentionality. Leaders who call themselves leaders have an awareness of the fact that they lead. So they're aware of that fact. Parents, the moment you have a baby, you become a leader. I guarantee somebody is following you. And one day, even if they get married and change their name, they have followed you to the point where they may not have your name, but hope to God they have your values because they followed you, because you led them. So, awareness is the key thing. Raise your awareness of the fact that you are influential. Whoever you are, you are influential, which makes you a lead. And secondly, intentionality. Because what the best leaders in the world do is they pay attention to themselves. They're really intentional about their own journey. They don't get to be where they are by accident. They get to be there by design. As a leader for Jesus, where is it that you want to be? You won't get there by accident. You'll get there by design because you'll be really intentional. Not just about changing this world, but about your own personal journey. And I have so enjoyed, when when asked me to talk about Peter as a leader... I've so enjoyed the journey of lifting Peter out of the Bible, everything about him, laying it on the context of everything I think I know about leadership, and understanding what that really means. And I've decided that, for me, I've kind of got about a dozen leadership lenses, a dozen lenses I look at leadership through. And there are four of them that Peter, to me, stands out as a fantastic example to us all of. The first one, and the most important one to me, is servant leader. Peter is a stunning servant leader. Second one is authentic. Peter is one of the most authentic people, I think, who ever walked the face of the planet, and we'll look at that in a minute. Peter's an inspirational leader. People followed him because they wanted to. One of the hallmarks of an an inspirational leader is they will manage to persuade you to get into their boat even when it's got holes in it. That's the definition of an inspirational leader right there. I have followed inspirational leaders and found myself up to my neck in water and thought, how did this happen? (laughs) It happened because they were inspirational and they persuaded me to get in their boat even though it had holes in it. And fourthly, leaders as team. Peter's an outstanding, to me, example of how to lead powerfully in team. And trust me, that's not easy to do. So why is is Peter so key to us right now? I think it's because over the last few weeks, I've just sensed us raising our level of first. And hunger for God to fill us and feed us it came out again this morning. I think every one of us who listened to, to Sarah's talk last week would come away feeling thirstier and hungrier than we did before because it was very salty. I was praying this morning, God, make this word salty. Meaning that when we've heard it, we go away more thirsty and thirstier, more thirsty, who knows, and hungrier for God's Spirit and God's Word. And Peter was a man that the Lord raised up to lead in an unprecedented time of outpouring. So he has to be a key figure to us for that reason alone. But one of the things you see that Peter did was he, didn't, he wasn't just instrumental in releasing Holy Spirit. Almost invariably in the process of stewarding Holy Spirit, Peter is referencing Scripture left Right and centre, because he's modelling to us something that the more of Holy Spirit you have, the more word you need to steward yourself well towards what God is doing. Otherwise, you end up in a big fat ditch over here. Because the Holy Spirit's not the messy person of the Trinity. He's not the weird one, right? I'm not, I'm not going after anything particular, right? but there is this thing that says, the "More Holy Spirit you get, the more weird you get, no, the more transformed you become." Yeah, I'm not saying manifestation is wrong. What I'm saying is transformation is the primary goal of the person and power of Holy Spirit. And the way to avoid the weird ditch is to do what Peter did, constantly, anchor people back to Scripture. This is that which was written. These men are not drunk. Let me explain to you from Scripture what's going on here. And he did that beautifully well. So I think he's a brilliant example to us of someone who showed up as a leader in an unprecedented time of outpouring. Oh, what a great role model for us. Peter was amongst the 12 disciples, as you know. He's one of the first to be called. He was one of the three, because within the 12, there was the three you often find Jesus picking up Peter, James, and John and scooping them out with the 12 and doing something with them. I often wonder what the other... Can you imagine if you were the 12 but you weren't the 3? And Jesus was going off with a 3. Here's a leadership test right there. Oh, what's so special about them? Why not me? I wonder how many times we go on that journey. Why not me? Even Peter suffered from that at some point. We'll see that in a second, but... Peter was amongst the three. So when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, Peter, James, and John. When he went up the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law. I think as far as I can tell, you you can't really have a mother-in-law without being married. Although we don't know much about his wife. He was apostle first to the Jews. And he was based and he was leader of the church in Jerusalem. And one of the exciting things about Peter for me is that when God, we'll talk about the keys in a minute. When Jesus said to him, are the keys of the kingdom, it wasn't just like some fancy prophetic metaphor. Jesus gave him keys. And with those keys, he unlocked the gospel to all the people groups of the world. And that was fantastically exciting to see that in scripture. And then having unlocked the gospel to the Gentiles, he effectively tagged team with Paul. So Paul overtakes Peter and becomes effectively the apostle to the Gentiles, and even that transition's interesting. We'll see that in a minute. So let's just look at Peter, the transformed leader, because I've described Peter as servant, authentic, inspirational, as team. But one of the most incredible hallmarks of Peter, is, as um, James and Sarah did a fabulous job of helping us to understand is he's one of the most transformed leaders you'll ever encounter. If you know any of Peter's story well, you'll know that he was incredibly impulsive. Speak first, think second. You know, every weakness is a strength and every strength is a weakness, but he transitioned. After three years with Jesus and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, he became a much more considered individual. He was very self-assertive. Under the influence of word and spirit, he became strong but submitted. He was really challenging. He didn't take Jesus on. Jesus, no way. You're wrong, right? I mean, what a guy! Um, He became. He never lost his authoritativeness, but he became humble. And can you see the beautiful redemptive nature of sanctification here? It takes everything that you thought's wrong with you, and he makes it right. (laughs) It's beautiful. He was a bit inconsistent, I will not deny you, trust me, I will not deny you. About four verses later, I have no idea who this man is. You're thinking, what went on there? Fear took hold. He became relentlessly consistent, Peter, in his leadership and his ministry. Before he was quick to speak, but he became very willing to listen. And that's one of the hallmarks of servant leadership. He wavered, but he became incredibly confident. He was, when Jesus met him, about 31. He was a year older than Jesus, give or take. And at that point, he's, he was an uneducated fisherman. We probably find that hard to imagine what kind of personality and individual that was, but it's pretty rough, <laughs> pretty raw, pretty full-on. But in 2 Peter 1.1, Peter describes himself first as servant and then apostle. He has gone on this amazing journey of transformation and become a servant apostle. I think there are two keys to his transformation and, by the way, to yours and mine. And these are captured in the next two or three verses. I've put the slides up because I recognize I'm going through quite a lot of material and I wanted, hopefully they help. If they don't, don't look at them. But in Acts 4, the Jewish council say something very interesting about Peter and John. They they look at Peter and John's confidence, their boldness, and it says in these verses that they recognized in them the fact that though they were uneducated and untrained, They'd spent time with Jesus. So the good news about your leadership is you don't need qualifications. You just need time with Jesus. The greatest leader that ever lived, ever will live. We can go to Harvard. We can do all sorts of weird and wonderful and good things to become better leaders. But where did Peter get it from? He got it from three years with Jesus who modeled something for him. And he learned on the job what it was to live and to lead. And then in Acts 4.8, you see another qualification for Peter. And Sarah mentioned this last week. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And in those verses, what I want you to see is this, is Peter, the charismatic, the Holy Spirit-filled leader, in that moment, Is doing what? He is under the anointing of the person and power of Holy Spirit. He is drawing on everything he ever saw Jesus do. Everything he ever heard Jesus say. And he's putting it into action. And he's vocalizing it. It's both and. Fill me. Fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. And I'll see you again next week for another filling. It's not Peter's paradigm from leadership, okay? It's fill me. Now I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. And we're going to talk and have a conversation. Because the role of Holy Spirit in John 14, 6 is to remind you of everything I've said to you. Can you imagine Holy Spirit? This is why prof- key to prophetic, right, is Holy Spirit isn't going to just give you things you've never heard before. Sounds a bit radical, doesn't it? He's going to remind you of what the Lord has already said to you. So, if you've not been spending time with the Lord and you have nothing, you've never heard nothing from Him, the Holy Spirit's got nothing to remind you of. Peter's powerful because he walked with Jesus, and he was filled with Holy Spirit. It's okay. I know I sometimes I talk to you quiet, and I think it's okay, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So, um, what I want to try and do now, really quickly, is is just. I told how I extracted Peter from the Bible. So the next slide is my attempt at the highs of walking with Jesus as far as Peter's concerned. So in Matthew 4 you get, Jesus says, come with me and I will make you. And it says Peter immediately. So this is Peter the impulsive speak first, do first, think later guy, right? He says he immediately follow Jesus that's a beautiful picture of what yes looks like when you're Peter it's I'm not going to do the maths I'm not going to rationalize myself out of this I am going to go and he goes in John six sixty eight, he's brilliant right Peter's always talking <laughs> it, it, it made me feel better actually because I like you know I don't stop talking really But Peter's always talking. So you find so many of the conversations you get in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus and Peter are having a discussion. If Peter wasn't there, it would have been a monologue, right? But it's a beautiful dialogue. So in John 6, 68, Jesus just preached a sermon designed to get rid of as many people as he could. It's not the sort of sermon that church leaders generally go for, right? Because generally sermons are meant to be like, I want to attract people. Jesus is saying, unless you become cannibals, this is what the Jews would have heard, right? he's talking about cannibalism because he says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood and he says like loads of people left him because they thought this is a this is not a good sermon it's not he's not having one of his good days right (laughs) and then and then jesus sort of says to to the disciples like are you going to go as well it's like he's having a bad day like you know do you want to go as well while you're at it and peter says where else can we go only you have the words of eternal life. So he was fully committed. He sees Jesus on the water and he says, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come to you. I always think, well, if it wasn't Jesus, what was going to happen next? You know, if it wasn't Jesus, it was something else. And he said, say, come. Peter, I think, knew his voice, right? So this, this guy is like, I see, can Jesus can walk on water? Jesus can walk on water? I can walk on water. Jesus, call me on I come. right? It's brilliant. I mean, what a high. We always talk about the fact he sank, but quite frankly, until I've walked on water, I don't think I'm qualified to talk about the sinking feeling. Yeah? <laughs> um, he was one of the three that were on the mountain with Jesus, and Elijah turns up and got, you know, Jesus starts to shine, the clothes start. Peter's witnessing this stuff. This is like amazing. <laughs> I just think you've got to be there. He saw loads of miracles. He saw his mother in law healed. No jokes. <laughs> My mother in law is in the room. <laughs> he saw the fig tree cursed. Jesus cursed the fig tree. And then Peter says, Jesus, that fig tree you cursed the other day. It's, it's kind of like died, right? So he's, Peter's processing with Jesus all the time what's going on. He saw the empty tomb. He ran there with John. John amusingly says in his gospel, and the one who Jesus loved got there before Peter. It's like, if you, see, if you study the relationship between John and Peter, it's fascinating, right? It's like as if John in his gospel is like making the point, I can run faster than Peter. The one who loved him got there first. Um, but he got there, he saw the empty tomb, and he saw the raised Jesus. And then he was beautifully restored, as James did. Such a stunning job of helping us to understand. He was restored from failure. okay. And then he got a prophetic word about old age. I love this. Jesus said to him, when you were old. Do you know the first thing I thought when I heard that was, that means he's going to live until he's old. Very important when you're in prison and you think they're going to take your head off. Why did Peter sleep between the guards? they they've just taken James's head off, right? Peter's in prison. He's sleeping like a baby between four guards on a four-on 4, off four on rotor. Why is he sleeping? Because he thought, Jesus said, when you're old. So whatever these turkeys are up to, they ain't killing me now. Right? So he, he stood with the prophetic word really well. So some of the highs, some of the lows. These I really like. I like the lows. Do you like the lows of Peter? <laughs> These kind of speak for themselves, really. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever heard that Jesus say that to you? Can you imagine what that would do to you? You know, I was thinking, Jesus, you know, this man, what are you doing to his self-image and his self-confidence? Get behind me, Satan. Talk about getting good at feedback. Right? None of you are laughing. You know, it's right. <laughs> Leadership 101, get good at, get, at receiving feedback and get good at giving it, perhaps not as... Full on as this, but Jesus actually said that to him. Then Jesus wanted to wash his feet, and he said, "You're not washing my feet." And then Peter, said, Jesus said, "Unless I wash you, you have no part in me." Right? Wash the lot. Right? This is Peter saying, like, "Give me a bath." Right? I'm not just wanting the feet. Well, I want the whole full Monty. Right? And then Peter, then, and then Jesus in Luke 22 says to the disciples, "If you if you got a cloak, sell it and buy a sword." Right, so what did what did Peter do? Sold his coat and bought a sword. Right, can be forgiven for thinking that was a, you know, the right thing to do. Um, next minute, get into a bit of a sword fight, and lops off the priest <laughs> with it. Right? Thinking, oh my gosh, Jesus told you to buy it. He didn't tell you to use it. Right, and so he's kind of working out what's this like following Jesus all about? Because it's radical obedience. Right. But it's not going beyond what Jesus said. And then, and then just like five, you know, five minutes after he said, I won't deny you, he goes to sleep in a prayer meeting. Jesus gets more prayer and he goes off to struggle, comes back to all sleep, three times. I mean, you do wonder, don't you? Jesus' leadership school, right? These guys are not showing up in a glorious way here. But they kept falling asleep. And then John, having said he would never, Peter saying he would never deny you, then says, I'm not his disciple. Never seen him before in my life, don't know who he is. And, and then Jesus, in conversation with Peter, says, when you are old, your arms will be outstretched and you will go where you don't want to go, which is a prophetic work of a different kind, because basically at that point, Jesus is predicting that Peter will be crucified. When he's old. And then Peter, I think, having got that word, sees John, the guy who's always showing off because he can run faster. And he's the one that Jesus loves, according to John, right? That's how John describes himself, by the way, okay? The, the apostle John describes himself as the one that Jesus loves, which would have really wound me up, quite frankly, if I was Peter. So Peter, <laughs> Peter says to Jesus, so, so I'm going to get crucified. Well, you know, he's just, he's had this word. He says, what about John, and basically, Jesus says to Peter, none of your business, mate. None of your business, Right? In, in just briefly whistle-stopping to you through that, what I'm saying to you is this, is that Peter, in those examples, is fully showing up as himself. That's authenticity. Jesus wants to work with you on the basis of the person that you really are, not the one you think he needs you to be. He anoints you, not the person you think you need to be. That's authenticity right there. That's Peter right there. Give Jesus you. He knows who you really are anyway, but fully show up as you. And then get good at feedback. But always remember that he is the one. You are The authentic you is the person that Jesus anoints. Three things about Peter. I'll try and land this as soon as I can. So three things about Peter that I think are really crucial to us as leaders. They all begin with C. You know me by now. I do like alliteration. The K for keys is a bit of a problem. I just didn't really know what to do with that. Um, Peter's significant events in terms of his leadership journey were his calling. Jesus called him and said, Follow me and I will make you. So... Even in that calling, there's, the, there's, the, there's a transformational word. I will make you. Yeah. Every, I would, with all of my heart, I would want every single one of us here today to have heard Jesus say to you personally, follow me and I will make you. My question is, where is he leading you? And in what way is he transforming you to become? That's not just the remit of leadership as church leaders, that's the remit of all of us. We're all leaders. Where is he taking you? And who is he making you to become? Confession. Never mind what Peter says. Who do you say he is? If somebody asks you the question, who is Jesus to you? Somebody says to me, Who is Jesus to me? What's your confession? Because Jesus wants to build on your confession, not just Peter's. And your confession might be different to Peter's, but he wants to build on it. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews. Who is it you say he is? Model Peter in having a confession of who Jesus is to you, he could be your best friend. He could be the one who healed you, the one who restored you. But as an authentic leader, you will have a story that embraces who Jesus is to you. And our leadership mandate is to tell the story. It's called testifying or being his witnesses, if you want to put it in Bible speak. It's owning your story about who he is to you. Not so much who he is to me. Who is he to you? That's authenticity right there. And then in John 21, Peter gets commissioned or recommissioned. So I figure after this moment, if I said to Peter, Peter, why are you on the planet? He'd have said, to feed Jesus sheep. Because that was his commission. Sometimes when I have people around for dinner, especially younger people than me, which mostly most people are these days, unfortunately, um, I will say, Why are you on the planet? Up, sir. What I'm going after is what, what do you own as the commission on your life? How would you sum up? Make the world a better place. Feed sheep. W- what is it? What is it? I'm really challenging you as leaders, every single one of you, to say, I own the commission that's on my life and I know what it is. Peter knew what it was. Right, I need to really get a move on. Next, we just put a quick list up just because I'm gonna struggle for time. So the next list was really Peter filled and led by Holy Spirit. And Sarah encouraged us to, to look at Peter's life. And this is a shopping list really of the things that Peter explicitly the Bible records as Peter being involved in at the point when he was filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Can you see he's still using his voice? He's still talking. He's still standing up. So when Jesus redeems you and redeems me, he doesn't turn us into somebody else. I don't have to be somebody else to lead on his behalf. I need to allow him to redeem my strengths and my weaknesses. But Peter here is doing a lot of talking, right? He's 120, he's talking. He's on the 12th of the day of Pentecost and he's speaking. And he's using scripture beautifully to explain what Holy Spirit is doing. And then he has all the miracles. And it's really good just to go through those and just see how Holy Spirit shaped his life. If I was to sum it up, Peter's walk with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit resulted in him knowing power, supernatural power, boldness. He became a very articulate declarer of truth. He had incredible revelation. Signs and wonders followed him. And he had supernatural wisdom. And all of those things are available to you and to me. Because we have the same Jesus and the same Holy Spirit that Peter did. So that prophetic refrain that that Ruth sang about Acts, what we're doing there is we're just digging into a truth that says, God, you did it then. Please, we know you want to do it again. Do it through us. Do it through us. I'm just going to jump to the last slide because I'm just for the sake of time. But just to say that Peter, under the power of Holy Spirit, opened up the gospel in Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 10. In Acts 2, it's in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, it's Samaria. And in Acts 10, it's Caesarea. And every time a people group was opened up, they asked Peter to go. Why? Because Peter had the keys. He opens up Holy Spirit to the Jews first, then Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's consistent with what Jesus had said. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and to the ends of the earth. Peter, having opened up the gospel to the people groups, then partnered with Paul and Paul took over. And his relationship with Paul is very interesting. If you study the book of Acts, you'll find that Acts split into two parts. Peter and Jerusalem, Paul and Antioch. And Peter and Paul's relationship is stunning. Paul challenges Peter in Jerusalem and says, Oi, every time James shows up, you go and sit with the Jews. Paul says, I challenge Peter to his face publicly. Because he was sitting with the Jews every time James showed up. Hypocrite. (laughs) <laughs> um, Peter describes Paul as our beloved Paul in his letter sometimes difficult to understand very different characters but Peter learned up how to show up alongside Paul and we haven't got time to go into that too much now but finally let me just land on and that's the, sorry that, just put that slide back up just, for, just, to, just to fill your mind with some facts Luke's a doctor, Luke wrote Acts very methodical person If you look at that table, what you can see there is Luke was really intentional in mapping out Peter and Paul's ministry equally. He was really intentional about how he shaped the story around Peter and Paul. Because it's both and. I love that. I love the fact that Luke was really intentional in sculpting the book of Acts to reflect Peter and Paul, very different characters. Some people will tell you they didn't get on. I'm sure they had their moments, but that's leadership as a team, right? That's how it works. But Luke does a beautiful job of mirroring Paul's journey and Peter's journey to give them equal weighting in Scripture. Okay, let's, let's land. So what do I think... Other things that we can learn, I can learn, you can learn from Peter. Be yourself. There is only one of you. Don't try and occupy any other space. Be you, warts and all. That's the person Jesus wants to work with and the one he wants to anoint. That's authenticity. Embrace your story. Who do you say Jesus is? Your story is unique and it includes him. What is your story? Commit yourself to your own personal transformation. Don't try and take the world for Jesus until you've taken yourself. Or at least make it an in-parallel process. Live and lead in plurality. It's very hard to say. Peter was an exceptional leader. But he led in team. He allowed Paul to challenge him publicly and he didn't write him off. He loved him for his honesty and his authenticity. The apostles worked well together in plurality. Live and lead in accountability. One of the hallmarks of leaders is that they are really good at giving affirmation and feedback. And they're equally good at receiving it. I really want to encourage you as a community, get good at receiving affirmation. Practice it. The next time somebody affirms you, be really self-aware about what you're doing in that moment. <laughs> no. Stop that. If I could say that nicely. I just did. When somebody comes up to me and says, you are great. <laughs> Go, I am. Thank you. Oh, now we're all getting the British things getting broken off us now. We have to get good at receiving affirmation. As a community, I said have to. That's the wrong word. Really get good at receiving affirmation. Get good at giving it. Get used to telling people how great they are. And then the last two things I've said already more than once. Peter's example teaches us nothing else. It teaches us this. To be influential in this world, to be a leader, the key is to spend time with Jesus and be filled and go on being filled with Holy Spirit. I believe in all my heart, the Lord is putting in us as a community right now a hunger and a thirst for Him. That thirst will cause us to seek Him to be filled, and that hunger will take us to the Word to be fueled. It's both and. Should we just stand together? I'd like to pray, and I'm going to hand back to Phil and Sarah. with all my heart, I want you to leave this room today owning the fact that you're a leader. So I just want to pray into that first. Holy Spirit, I I ask you just to move across this room, to move in the hearts and the minds of everyone here, that, that you would help them to own the truth that somebody is following them And that makes them a leader. Father, we say that the hardest person we will ever get to lead is ourselves. We own that truth. And so, Father, we ask you for the wisdom and the grace to be able to lead ourselves well. Help us to understand what that really looks like. Holy Spirit, I pray, as Sarah shared last week, that you would help us to understand the seal that you have placed upon us in terms of our calling, our confession, and our commission. I would, Lord, I just want everybody in this room to have real clarity about their calling their confession, and their commission. Where are you taking them? Who are you transforming them to become? What is the reason that we're on the planet? Who do we say that you are? Help us to embrace our story. And Holy Spirit, on behalf of all of us, I ask you to continue to place within each one of our hearts an unprecedented thirst for you that cannot be quenched by anything else or anyone else but you. And Father, I pray that there would be a saltiness about your word right now that would cause us as we read it to want more of you, more of your spirit, more of your word in our individual and corporate life. Help us to steward an outpouring of your spirit in this city and in this nation the like of which has never been seen before. Father, I thank you that every time you pour out new wine a new wineskin is required but I thank you that the difference between old and new is not age, it's flexibility. So I pray for each one of us right now that there would be by your grace an increase of flexibility in our hearts and our minds, in our ways of thinking, our ways of speaking, our ways of doing things, that there would be an unprecedented flexibility, God, that we would be flexing as required to be the wineskin that stewards what it is that you're pouring out in our church family and in this nation, God. We thank you for what you did in Azusa Street. We thank you for what you did in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2. And we say, do it again, God. We say, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Lord, we say like Habakkuk, we have heard of your fame. Renew it in our day, Jesus, we pray. so much of what Mark's been sharing this morning that um, I feel like we can take hold of and just allow to create traction in our lives and um, I just want to encourage you from, from next week onwards we're really we're going to be diving into One Peter and, and looking at what uh, chapter and verse and diving into some of the meat of what there is but um if you get a chance this week just begin to read through one peter for yourself begin to just even look through the lens of of leadership that mark's been helping us so clearly see this morning and and just allow that to fuel you as we continue on this journey together we're gonna we're gonna close up um there this morning there are refreshments